Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science. With beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Stall. 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 Bathroom stall? Call who for a good time? Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. Okay. Hello. Hello. Annabelle, we are divided by distance. Today, we are 200 miles apart. I'm sitting in a travel tavern in Salford, and you are in your flat just outside of London. (laughs) Just in in London, just on the outskirts of London. On the outskirts of London, yeah. Um, The the reason being that I am working uh, up here this week, but we didn't want to deprive people of an episode of Adrift. So here we are, cobbling something together with you in your spare bedroom and me in this uh, hotel room. Yep. And because of that, it will be a shorter podcast than usual this week, which I apologise. I I think a shorter podcast is better than no podcast. But if you disagree, then do feel free to tell me hello at adriftpodcast.com. But um, I think that's how it's going to be for the next couple of weeks, due to me being all over the place. Not just mentally, but physically <laughs> all over the place. Right. Nice to have both, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and and there won't be an incident this week, and that's because I don't have the technology with me to be able to phone somebody up and ask them about my uh, various woes. And the the only other person I'd be able to ask is the fellow who comes in and changes the towels uh. and... I, I don't know that he'd be up for it, to be honest. Fine. Yeah, fair enough. So that's the sitch, the situation. Mm-hmm. You'll also notice that I am losing my voice, yeah. which is delightful. Husky. I haven't, even, I haven't even been to karaoke. Oh, that's what everyone was thinking, obviously, that you'd had a big night karaoke last night. This is well, not that's true. That's usually the thing that knackers my voice. But yeah. no, it's just I've got some kind of lurgy um and it, we just did it then. It keeps going slightly squeaky every now and again, like I'm Benjamin buttoning into reverse puberty. So uh, apologies for that as well. But now that I'm done apologising, we should we should uh, get going, really, shouldn't we? Yes, we should, yes. Um, so I've had a couple of things happen to me this week, which are both in the realm of plumbing. Oh, OK, great, go on. Firstly, my dishwasher has been broken for a while. Which which isn't good. Good grief, that's I terrible. I rely on that thing. Yeah. It is terrible. Um, so I got in touch with the dishwasher repairman and I told him what the error code was on the dishwasher and he said, I'll tell you what your problem is, mate. 
your heating element has gone. I'm going to have to order you a new one. I said, all right, how long will that take? He said, a couple of days. So I waited a couple of days, didn't hear from him, waited a few more days, still didn't hear from him. I texted him, said, hey, hey, any uh, news on that heating element for my dishwasher? He said, oh, yeah, just a few more days. Mm. This went on for a couple of weeks. (laughs) And uh, I rang him the other day. And he was very apologetic, but it wasn't a very good line. Right. It was sort of quite crackly and it kept dropping out as a mobile phone. And um, and then he said, I'm so sorry. I had a bit of a week of it last week. And, you know, like I say, the line was very bad. And then he said, and I don't know which it was, he either said, my van died or my dad died. Oh, but you didn't know which? And I didn't know which. No, so he didn't know how to react. But he didn't want to ask him no. to repeat himself. I mean, what do you do oh. in that situation? What was that? You know, you can't even say what was that because if it was his dad, that seems just really insensitive. Yes, yeah, yeah. I think maybe you just have to really overreact to the van breaking down. But, but if you overreact to the van breaking down, then yeah. you really sound like a weirdo. Yes. So <laughs> I, ju- I just kind of went like this. Oh, no. Oh, Jeff. Do you think that was fine? No, that's not enough for the dad. If his dad had died. <laughs> it wasn't enough for that, no. Oh, so do you dear. think I will ever see this element by my dishwasher now? I would guess. so slighted that I didn't react to his grief correctly. I would, I would guess that. that he's, would... he's never going to come back. You, I will guess that you will see that heating element never again. <laughs> um, the other thing that happened, and this was separate. Mm. So um, I was washing up by hand the other night. And when I say I, I mean my father-in-law who was visiting. Honestly, right. it's so great. It's like having a butler. Oh, really? It's really wonderful. Oh. Yeah. Um, but he'd filled the sink with water and he, he was washing up. And then um, he pulled the plug out. And all of a sudden, all this wastewater comes gushing from under the sink. No. And floods the kitchen floor. Ugh. So I have to call one of these drain unblocking companies. Mm. And they advertise as being 365 days a year, 24-7. Uh, so I call them and they say, yeah, we'll get someone to you. And then a fellow rings up and he says, uh, I'll try and get you to you tonight, mate. I can't guarantee it. Like, okay. Can, <laughs> when, right. when, when will you be able to let me know? <laughs> oh. So like, oh, probably about 20 minutes beforehand. Oh, so, God. Right. Hey, Anyway, so yeah, that was mildly annoying. Yeah. So this fella comes round and uh, he unblocks the drains and um, he's nice, he's quite chatty, which I don't do well with. It had been a long day and we're well into the evening at this point. It's gone nine o'clock. Uh, uh, but he, he, he does the job. And then he says, right, I'll uh, just um, sort your payment out. So I said, oh, great, have you got one of those little machines? He said, no, I have to ring the call centre. Okay. And... Um, and they then give them your credit card details over the phone. Right. So I say, okay. So he dials this number on his phone, and then I see him just kind of put his phone down on the table, and I guess while it's on hold, he he doesn't want to be holding it to his ear. So we then have this conversation, and bearing in mind, let's say it's quite late in the evening, and I've already ex- exhausted most of my small talk with him, mm. it goes on forever. He is so chatty mm. he's so nice but so chatty and every bit of conversation is just sucking the life out of oh, me no. he's telling me about his family i mean it's all very nice but yeah. i'm just thinking oh please just answer the phone please just answer <laughs> the phone so he can take the credit card details yeah. and we end up talking for 25 <gasps> minutes 25 minutes oh my god and then ready for this oh yeah 
Then he says, oh, I should probably try ringing him back, shouldn't I? We weren't on hold. We were just having a chat. No. Yes. You were pointlessly having a 25-minute chat. Yes. I thought we were just having a chat to fill the time no. while the operator answered to take my card details. And we were just chatting. This is horrific. It's terrible, isn't it? I would rather have a wet floor every time I washed up, like a soaking, <laughs> than even just have that one snippet of 25-minute conversation. It's horrendous. It's the person that sometimes get in touch with you, but then you don't talk to them very often because you're just, like, busy. And it's not that you don't like them. It's just that you don't like them that much. So you just kind of lose touch and uh, go... Adrift with Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. All right, time to hear stories of your failure to interact in an acceptable manner with other human beings. Uh, if you haven't sent us your story yet, please do. They're greatly appreciated and very much enjoyed. Hello at adriftpodcast.com. First one is from Andy. He says he's a fairly new listener to the podcast. That's good. Fairly new. Good news. We still have incomers. Says, yeah, yeah. He says, I've been wanting to send you this story for a few weeks now, but like a true drifter, I wanted to listen to all the episodes to make sure someone didn't have the same story as me previously. <laughs> Unlikely, for sure, but still slightly anxiety inducing until I was absolutely sure. Also, it seems like it's been a while since you had an accidental racism story. Oh. Yes. Like many great drifting stories, this happens in the classic setting of a taxi. In this case, an Uber. The Uber driver in question was a friendly chap. Like most of us drifters, I prefer a good silence compared to an awkward small talk experience. But to my pretend enjoyment, this driver decided that a good small talk was the best way forward. He was obviously unaware of my incapability at that kind of thing. I guess you could file this under getting carried away as well, as it seemed for the first five or ten minutes that I was doing quite well. The Uber driver was of Jamaican descent, an important point, and was happy to talk about music with me, which is pretty much the only subject I have any knowledge of. So I sort of got carried away by talking about the difficulty bands have making any money due to the decline in revenue caused by streaming services like Spotify or Amazon. We chatted casually for a good 15 minutes and I had a sense of getting along with the driver. At that point, we encountered a traffic jam. Not unusual at all, but I heard the Uber driver mutter something under his breath. Feeling a sense of camaraderie with the driver, I asked, Oh, sorry, what did you say? He replied, Oh, I was just saying there's a bit of an argument between the drivers up ahead. I acknowledged this with a false sense of interest. Oh, really? He went on to say, Yeah, it's between the white van and the other car at the front. I tell you what, I've realised since I'm becoming an Uber driver that the worst kind of drivers to encounter on the roads are white van drivers and minibus drivers. I suddenly felt a wave of confidence rush over me as I had something to say. I agreed with what he said and followed it up with, yeah, I've also found that the worst drivers are black Audi drivers and black BMW drivers. Oh no, oh no, oh no. I didn't even realise what I had said and I sat back in my chair smugly in the satisfaction that I had contributed to the conversation. <laughs> even though his response had only been a surprisingly muted, hmm... <laughs> It only dawned on me about two minutes later what I had said. By now it was too late. There was no way I could say anything now. What was I meant to say? Oh, um, uh, by the way, I meant the car colour and not the person. <laughs> no, it was too far gone. It had happened and I had to accept it. We finished the drive off in silence. I am fairly sure my Uber rating has suffered because of it. <laughs> I'm Branding. worried that my Uber rating has suffered because of my croaky voice. 
Oh, really? And just in case any um, uh, cabbies, London cabbies are listening, I'm in Manchester. It's fine for me to take an Uber while I'm here. Okay. Um, okay yeah, I, I was making small talk last night and my voice kept doing that. And I thought, this is going to be annoying to this guy. I'm sure he's going to mark me down. Oh, your journey. It's like the anxiety that <laughs> no, must bring you. Everything you no. do and say, you're worried about it. All right, what have we got next? Ellie, she says, I have a six-year-old son who has a very rich social life interspersed with never-ending birthday parties, play dates and sleepovers, which require me to pretend to be a confident and normally functioned human being, which is quite a challenge to say the least. In the last few years, I've somehow managed to navigate the choppy and treacherous waters of being a parent, have survived endless chit-chats at the school gates and the torture of awkward silences when waiting with other parents to pick up my offspring from yet another party. Our neighbour's son is the same age as mine. They go to the same school and we often swap play dates, aka free childcare with strings attached. We share drop-offs and pick-ups from various parties. I'm fairly friendly with both parents of the said child and we occasionally exchange views about more than just the weather. But it is mostly the dad who manages all the childcare logistics and so I mainly text him. Recently, I was trying to arrange yet another drop-off, and in the midst of a general life crisis concerning a lost dinosaur, I forgot that I was not texting my partner and added two kisses at the end of the message to the boy's dad and my neighbour. Not one kiss, which could have been seen as me being friendly or tipsy before noon, but two. Let me clarify that I normally do not dish out my kisses lightly. It's also important to note that the neighbour dad never, ever goes beyond the very laconic, yes, that's fine, and thanks, in his messages. He has never used a single accidental kiss, not even a smiley. As you can imagine, when I saw what had happened, I do blame my thumb as being out of control and my brain gone temporarily AWOL. I immediately started coming up with ideas for limiting the damage. Text back immediately and in a witty way, turn the two kisses into a joke. Blame it on my vitamin pills. <laughs> Sell the house on eBay and leave the country in the middle of the night. Knock on his door and explain that I wasn't trying to suggest having an affair and breaking up his family. Undergo drastic plastic surgery and pretend to be someone else. Join the foreign legion. What if his wife sees the text? Should I repent in a letter to her? In the end, I settled for the one solution that feels most doable and appropriate. In very drifter fashion, I decided to pretend none of this had ever happened <laughs> and chose to feel the shame swallow me whole every time I bump into our neighbour, which is about once a day. Oh dear, poor really. And, uh, and finally this week? From Rebecca. My brother and sisters-in-law just had a baby. I was over at their house holding him and he fell asleep and started snoring. He's three weeks old and he's already snoring. Somehow I mixed up some anatomy, which is pretty common for me actually, and said to my brother in front of everyone, oh, the poor kid has inherited your scrotum. <laughs> Silence. I mean, septum, your, your deviated septum. There was no recovery, but thankfully my family is pretty good at laughing me off. Oh, all, all very strong this week. Please share your story. Hello at adriftpodcast.com. Form an orderly bubble and off we go. Adrift. Annabelle, time for another way in which you're not a fully functioning adult. Part 13. <laughs> and it think, is. How many parts are there out of interest? Well, I, I think within me, like the truth is several thousand. <laughs> but how, how many I'll do is another answer, which I've, I've yet to answer. <laughs> okay part 13 daydreaming now i do think it's totally normal to daydream like how much of the waking day would you say the average person daydreams what do you think can, what percentage? can, can you clarify daydream a bit a bit more 
you're, you're you're not thinking about what's going on. You're thinking about something else, like sort of fan, some kind of fantasy, just something else, and like other thoughts in your head. Let me ask you this question: Does yeah. worrying count as daydreaming? Um, if you're worrying about something, yeah. If you're not thinking about something that's happened there and then, I think it's classified as daydreaming. Oh, then I'm mostly, I'm not... mostly daydreaming. <laughs> I mean, I never thought of it as daydreaming. I, I, I thought of yeah. it as like anxiety about what will happen in the future and yeah. like anxious flashbacks about things that have happened in the past. But most most of the day in my case then, if that counts as daydreaming... Well, to be honest, I wasn't expecting you to get me to clarify daydream. So I just made a decision on the spur of the moment. I'm not sure it's right. (laughs) But anyway, a Harvard study in 2010, they looked into this and they found that 47% of the waking day for the normal person is daydreaming. And I read that and it sounds like you too. I thought, is that all? 47%? They're thinking about what they're actually doing. And they also found, and this is interesting, that the wondering mind makes you unhappy. But that didn't surprise me at all because I knew this from a very young age because I have a very strong memory of being 10 and watching the band Aha on Blue Peter. They'd done a behind the scenes look at them shooting the video for Hunting High and Low and then they did an interview. And while I was watching it, I was imagining being married to the lead singer Morton Harkett and being called Annabelle Harkett, which is weird as when I actually did get married... (laughs) I didn't change my name, <laughs> but the tenure of me was up for doing all that paperwork and the notifying of the passport office, bank, credit cards, HMRC, electoral <laughs> roll, council, etc., etc. I don't remember the paperwork being part of the daydream, though. I just remember me practising saying it, Annabelle Harkett, Mrs. Harkett, Mrs. Annabelle Harkett. And this being the main part of the marriage daydream, the name change. I didn't venture into the wedding, honeymoon, then the bitter rows and divorce. <laughs> But after about 10 minutes of this, I suddenly stopped and I realised that not only was I never going to marry Morton Harkett, but I was never even going to ever meet him. And it was this terrible jolt of reality. And I cried for about half an hour. And I I think it might be the moment I grew up. And it's definitely the first moment that I realised that my interior life was a 100 times better than my actual life was ever going to be. But you know what? Obviously, I didn't marry Morton Harkett. But during those 16 years I worked in radio... I never met him either. I was right. I never did. <laughs> and I had learned that daydreaming does make you sad, but I still kept at it and I still daydream all the time. I don't fantasise that I'm on top of the pops anymore. I've moved on from that because now I do the voice or the X Factor. And it's only that I sing and then all the judges give me a standing ovation. It never goes further than that, which is quite lazy of me, really. And I can only get to sleep by daydreaming. And I have the same daydream every night. And I've done it for so long. And it's so detailed that it just bores me off to sleep. What is so, it? Yeah. So in this daydream every night, it turns out that I've got a twin. And my mum had found out quite late into her pregnancy and realised she couldn't cope with two. So the midwife organised a secret illegal adoption. And then we meet, I meet the twin, because she's a spook, constantly working undercover. And for a particular operation, they needed her double. And so they come to me because they've always known about me. And I have to go undergo in- intensive training. I won't bore you with any more of it. Although I do think that other people's daydreams are a lot more interesting than other people's dreams. Yes. I, th- I think there's more insight because I think we can all deduce from mine that I must be a terrible narcissist with my <laughs> ultimate fantasy. It says not just one, but two of me in the world. And I definitely think I've revealed too much about me, so I'm going to end it there. Wow. How long have you been having that daydream as your, um, as your sleep aid for? I'd say four years or so. Annabelle, that's amazing. Although I've, I've had detailed. the same one for a long time as well. 
Oh, yeah, go on. It's like worrying about becoming destitute and the house being repossessed <laughs> and my wife leaving me and taking my son to America. That's my... I, bet that's, I bet that soothes you off to sleep nicely. But I have to say, it tends to keep me awake rather than send right. me to sleep. Yeah, yeah. No, I'd, I'd do another one if I were you. Bad Drift. Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. If you get close enough, you can... Taste the freshness. So I haven't got news as such, but I've got a little more sort of vague information about the um, the first ever Adrift live show in Hebden Bridge on the 29th of June. Oh, vague information, you say. Yeah, go, vague go information. On, tell, like tell more. So, so vague information part one is yeah. Mal, the fellow who runs the venue, the trades club in Hebden Bridge, he yeah. emailed me to say that he's getting in touch with the committee and he'll get back to me when there's a ticket link. Okay, but the committee aren't going to reject us. Well, that's what, what I'm slightly nervous about. I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. think that's a possibility. It seems that way, doesn't it? Like the committee have got to approve us. That's what it feels like. It was almost like he thought he made a terrible mistake by <laughs> saying we could do a live show and now he yeah, wants yeah. to blame the committee. What he thought is it was never going to happen. Yes. And now, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now that we were like, oh, it's going to happen, he's terrified. Yeah. Yeah. But mm. even, even though I haven't had the uh, the rubber stamp from the committee, I have booked a special guest oh you've done it great yes. okay yeah made an arrangement made an arrangement and everything and um i'm very excited to have this guest on it is somebody who has appeared on a previous episode of adrift and somebody i am very fond of I and mean, it's not my wife i just want to do <laughs> in case people think oh god he's just going to wheel his wife out isn't he no that's not happening um she's otherwise engaged but no okay. i've found somebody who I really like who has been on the podcast and I'm guessing some people will investigated uh, will have investigated this person's work uh, to many people it might be new but it will really bring something I think to the uh, to the evening or afternoon I'm not quite sure what time it is either okay so that's that hopefully more information on that next week and then the other thing I was thinking is we need to do something for our patreon subscribers yeah, we do, definitely. And I wondered if um, maybe we could go for a walk around your neighbourhood. Okay. What do you think of this as an idea? <laughs> okay. So um, I wondered if you could take us around Snaresbrook and the yeah. surrounding environs and yeah. tell us about some of the things you've seen there over the years. I, oh, well, I already know like what one of the highlights can be. Great, great. And it's... Shall I tell you now or should we save it? We'll save it. We'll save it, yeah. I mean, yeah, you yeah, told yeah. me a story about something that had happened to you in the street the other week and I thought, oh, I'd, I'd like to go to the scene where that happened. <laughs> okay, right, okay. So I thought that could be the next special thing we do and it will only be for Patreon supporters. So um, if you want to hear that, get a tour of Snaresbrook. Because I know, like, about a year ago, we were talking about doing coach journeys and getting listeners together and mm, going, mm. but let, let's not run before we can walk, right? Okay, so what you mean we're going to do a little video? Is that what you mean? Yes, me and you walking around Snaresbrook yeah. and you okay, can point okay. out some of, the, uh, some of the local highlights. Maybe Great, a lover, okay. Tom, could video it for us, but if not, we could yeah, just yeah, do yeah. it on a camera phone. Yeah, 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 okay. All right, so uh, if you'd like to see that, uh, I have a target of mid to late May. How does that sound? Wow, great. Okay. I'll make some away for the next couple of weeks and then I've got um, a couple of things on it the first part of May. But mm -mm. if you don't support us on Patreon and you would like to see that, I mean, how, how enticing is that really? Hugely. Come on. We could make that like a £10,000 per month 
level <laughs> reward and i think people would still you know uh mm. donate it's that exciting but mm. uh, you know you, you don't need to donate ten thousand pounds a month just a bit of spare change if you go to patreon and pledge your support it will give you access to all the old exclusive we uh, stuff we've done in the past i think um as well as this latest one a tour tour de snaresbrook Mm-hmm. Uh, go to patreon.com stroke adrift. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and t shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Please join me in this bubble that has been forever locked in the glass by the blower. It's, it's their breath. It's horrible. Adrift. Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. I went to the pictures last night. Oh, yeah. I went to see Being Frank, which is the story of Chris Seavey, who was the man behind Frank Sidebottom. If you don't know Frank Sidebottom, he was an eccentric entertainer uh, in the 80s and 90s. He used to crop up a lot on kids' TV, um, but he was really popular at festivals and on the stand-up circuit, although he was always slightly off doing his own thing. And he was a man with a paper mache head. He was a character called Frank Sidebottom who dreamed of being a huge show business star um, but still lived with his mum and he had a cardboard puppet called Little Frank. Does I mean, is that a good description? I think it's a great description. What was the film like? The, the documentary was brilliant. I um, Hang on a second, we're going to cough. Hang on, everyone. <coughs> That's how ill I am. I just Goodness coughed above nothing. Some people turned up. It's so annoying. So sat through all the adverts and all the trailers, and then as the film started, some people turned up. Oh, I absolutely hate that. What is wrong with people? Because the oh. advertised time for a film always gives you lots of leeway to be late. What it is, is these slapdash people just adding 20 minutes on and thinking, oh, it doesn't matter if I turn up just as the film starts. Mm. It does yeah. matter. And they were speaking at normal volume, not cinema volume. Normal volume? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, the, the film is, is really good. I enjoyed it very much indeed. Um, an interesting part of it, I thought, was... So this, this guy, Chris Seavey, when Frank Sidebottom became more famous he had his own tv show at one point and he was very popular and his ex-wife was talking very frankly about the fact sorry frankly no pun intended um, (laughs) that it it went to his head no pun intended again Um, (laughs) and you know he he kind of spiraled a little bit with drink and drugs but also with womanizing oh really that's a a good old-fashioned word isn't it womanizing Um, yeah yeah (laughs) um I'm sorry, I'm just tickling myself by using that word. Can you do manizing? You, well, can you? <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> but anyway, so, so somebody must have been out with him in a nightclub one night, filming him, and all these sort of women are coming up with it, are coming up to him, and kind of draping themselves over him, and and then getting to where the Frank side bottom head. And there's a shot of what looks like a pole dancer wearing the Frank Sidebottom head and dancing. 
Wow, that is quite bizarre. <laughs> and it just made me think about the nature of fame as an aphrodisiac. Mm, yeah. You know, that that there's something about being on a stage that makes somebody attractive that you would even consider a big paper mache head <laughs> in some way sexual. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As part I think of a mating a ritual. Mm. Um, I used to, I mean, the saying I know him like that much overstates it really, but, but basically, I should point out that he's no longer with us. He sadly died of cancer a few years ago. But I used to know him back in the day. In fact, when I first started listening to radio, I used to love these little things he did called Radio Timperley on Piccadilly Radio. And then later when I was on the radio myself, um, he, he would do that on my show. So I'd go round to his house and collect tapes every now and again from him. He'd make these things in his spare room. Um, so I knew him a little bit. And, and a weird thing about him, and they do touch on this on the film, in the film, is that he didn't like to be addressed as Chris if he had the Frank Sidebottom head on. And, oh. uh, and if he didn't have the head on, then he would talk about Frank as if he was a different person. Oh, really? So I remember once uh, going and seeing him at a festival. I think it was the Phoenix Festival. It used to be in Stratford. And then going backstage and waiting for him afterwards. And Frank comes out. And there's just, there's just me standing there with my friend Chris, who also knew him. And we are waiting for Chris Seavey, the man inside Frank Sidebottom. So he, he comes off stage and he's still got the paper mache head on and he's still holding little Frank the puppet. And the only people in the vicinity are me and Chris who know him, right? Mm-hmm. And he is talking in character to little Frank and he's saying, oh, little Frank, you were bobbins, I was dead good, but you were bobbins, you ruined it, little Frank, like that. <laughs> Which was weird. And yeah, then he yeah. goes into this little porter cabin, he takes the paper mache head off, and then he comes out and he just goes, Frank's gone now. <laughs> wow. Such an interesting character. Yeah. It's, it's a very good documentary. It's on at a few cinemas, I think, still. I think it's been on for a couple of weeks. But if you get a chance to go and see it, I'm sure it'll come out on streaming soon. Um, but it's it's really an interesting story about this guy who was so driven. He was a, a, a songwriter, really. He was in a band called The Freshies, who almost had a hit with a song called I'm In Love With A Girl on the Manchester Virgin Megastore Checkout Desk. Uh, oh, yeah. But it didn't happen. There was a strike on top of the pops that week and he never got on there and, you know, the <laughs> single slipped down the charts and so on. Mm. But, you know, he was just sort of relentlessly making stuff and he never became a household name, but he was just doing his own thing, his, his own way. And uh, it's, it's a really lovely story. The documentary is called Being Frank. This is your favourite programme. Adrift. With Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. Now, here's a question. Yep. Does this count as problematic, uh, yeah. given that I'm not in my attic, I'm in a, a travel tavern in Salford? Oh, pr problem travel tavern. <laughs> Quandary corner in problem travel tavern. Yeah, there we go. All right. All sorted. Who's the first one from? Okay, so the first one's from Sarah. And she says, I have a question about train etiquette and would really appreciate your views. Sp Specifically, I am interested to know what the rules are when the seats, including the luggage racks, which are full of people trying to style it out, in the normal people's carriage are full, but there is space in first class. I'm not talking about the actual seats in first class. I could never sit there for fear of challenge or arrest or worse still, frosty stairs. But what about the first class luggage racks? Can a person with a standard ticket sit in a first class luggage rack? I look forward to receiving your wisdom. <sighs> 
This this is a, a good question, but I think it falls into the category of um, of, of of what's permissible according to I don't know if it's I'd call it the laws, but the rules and regulations of the of the railways. So, so it's not up to decide, it's the ticket inspector who decides. I think so. So yeah. I don't know if you're allowed into a first-class carriage even to stand there and, and lean if you haven't got mm. a ticket. I mean, I, I just don't know that. I read a thing mm. recently, Stuart Heritage sort of wrote a funny piece for The Guardian about how to blag your way into first class on a train, um, which I recommend for a hugely entertaining way to spend five or ten minutes reading that. Look it mm-hmm. up online. Um, but... I don't think it's social etiquette because my fear would be going in there and then getting told off by the ticket inspector. I just don't want to have any kind of confrontation and I wonder if you risk confrontation just by being in there. Yeah, so I think we can say that you're probably not allowed to do it and if you're not allowed to do it, why would you risk someone telling you off anyway? Yeah, I mean, it's it's stupid. They should allow you in there. Yeah, but, um... to, sit, to sit in a luggage rack. <laughs> You should be allowed to sit in a luggage. Why is first class luggage better than a human? Why is it better than you? That's disgusting. That's the world we live in, though. But those people have paid money for their luggage to go in the rack or not go in the rack, as the case may be. Okay, well, let's move on then. So do you remember last week we had a dilemma from Ali about what to do in a shop and the person at the checkout starts serving the next customer before the one in front has time to leave? Yes, yes. Remember this. Yes, right. and we and, couldn't and we, quite and resolve we it, could we? Yes, yeah, so we threw it back out and we've had some answers. I'm going to give those to you now. The first one is from Grand Prince Gord. He does start by saying his suggestion is very undrifter-like, so I don't know if you're going to accept it, but he says, I agree with Annabelle in that asking the cashier to wait is a great idea. Thank you. But very forward. Both my wife and I experience this problem regularly and her solution is to get on quickly getting through and then complain to me at home. Very drifter-like. I, on the other hand, being a taller person, get away with standing back and waiting for the person in front of me to completely finish. If questioned on this action, I respond with saying, or oh, I didn't want to see their pin entry. I also will stand in such a way as to block the person behind from going too quickly for the same reason. You know, privacy and all that. If the above suggestion doesn't work, pick a young cashier and buy some obscure vegetables that they continuously have to ask what it is, thereby slowing you in favour of the person in front, giving them time to pack. Oh, that is really good. I like I like the pin thing as well. Yeah, you could pretend that you're being really discreet and amazing and private, and that that could that could work very well. It's a good idea. Yes. That's, okay. Let's let's go on good. to Ian. And he starts with, as an ex-Weight Rose checkout manager, Ooh. I've got a definitive answer for you. If you are the customer who feels they're not being given the chance to finish packing, simply don't pay until your shopping is in your bags. That's perfect, right? Aha, uh-huh. yeah, very good. Very you just refuse, good. You just keep on going until it's time to pay. If you're the next customer, then politely tell the cashier, take a breather. I'm going to wait until this lady or gentleman has had time to finish packing his shopping. The cashier can't continue rushing from this point in either circumstance. Could you do that? Could you say, take a breather? (laughs) (laughs) I I don't think I could do it, no. I couldn't. No. I think the first suggestion is brilliant. I I just couldn't do the second one. Yeah, well... Thank you. Any any more of those? Or have we yeah, yeah. So let's, let's move on to Andy's as mm. well, because he says, I too am panicked and sl- silently annoyed by a fast checkout person firing stuff at me too fast for me to pack it. But the solution lies in the preparation. 
my strategy is to choose a checkout queue where somebody has already has their stuff loaded up on the conveyor to give me some thinking time. I then place my own shopping in such an order that it makes the packing side of things faster, play them at their own game. Lots of small things at the front that you can just throw into a bag while the checkout person is really zooming along at the start, trying to prove a point and make you feel pathetic. Where applicable, place any clothes or things that need a tag removing or putting in a small bag in the middle of your line of items to allow yourself a valuable catch-up slot for a short rest. Large or heavy items like milk or dog food, straight in the trolley, bagless. Deal with them when you get to the car. If you're really struggling, buy a bag so they have to deal with sorting that out while you beaver busily away in the background to make up lost ground. (laughs) If you break eggs or crush birthday cards or smash jars trying to keep up, that's fine. Just don't lose face. He agrees with Ian in the next point. Absolutely do not pay before you've packed up. I fall into this trap many times, mildly panicking that I'm holding the cashier up and I can pack these last things up while the transaction is going through. It never works and opens up the gates of hell when they move straight (laughs) on to the next person. You've only yourself to blame if this happens. Hopefully over time, you can at least avoid being the person at the front of the awful checkout centipede your listener mentioned. While I'm on, I do have one of my own along a similar theme. Occasionally, there are kids at the end of the checkouts helping people bag up their things in exchange for a donation to their youth club, football team, etc. If you're not buying many things, the self-service is the obvious way to go. But with a big shop, that's simply not feasible. Horrifyingly, sometimes you've already committed to the queue before you even notice. More often than not, I don't carry any loose change, only my debit card, which makes things unbearably awkward. Mm. I don't want them touching my things, regardless, to be honest. (laughs) Indeed, I would gladly pay them £1 to leave me alone. (laughs) But I certainly don't want them to do it when I know I have no money to give them at the end. On one occasion, I have simply abandoned my shopping in an aisle and left the shop. Last time, though, I braced myself. And when I got to the end of the conveyor, I told the fundraising child that I didn't have any change and I didn't want them to do it for free, adding a cheery, never work for free life tip that still makes me cringe now. (laughs) So I would just do it myself. This seemed like it might be the way forward until I looked up to see the mild disgust on the faces of other people in the queue who clearly assumed I'd refuse help because I didn't want to give the charity any money. The child seemed confused and stood watching me pack up my things for a good few minutes, occasionally picking up something and handing it to me, which made me feel both guilty and strangely annoyed. It was so awkward that I ended up by saying I had some change in the car and would go and grab some and bring it back in. But I didn't. Next time, I think I will abandon my shopping again. What is the solution, though? Well, do you want to do you want to take this one? Well, I think probably he solved it himself by saying, I've got some change in the car. I'll just go and get it. And then you just never do. Yeah, that's that's it. Because if you've got no change, you've got no change. Are you supposed to go to a shop? I hate money so much. I mean, I I hate the lack of money so much. But I mean, I specifically hate having to carry money. I just wish we could do everything with cards and apps on phones. It's really annoying. I just, yeah, could... I just had a right old time of it before with the vending machine in the in the um, reception <laughs> of this travel tavern. Like, I just wanted to buy a bottle of water, and the amount of times you know you co- you put your coin in, and then it doesn't accept it, and then you're oh. trying to put it in again with a bit of a spin or a bit of a flourish. Yeah, so this is fresh pain for you. Yeah, yeah, very much so. So, do you have any any alternative solutions? Um, I, th- I think the I think the car excuse sounds like a good one although then i would be racked with terrible guilt about having lied to them maybe you could go back the next day or something or you could just say to them no thanks yeah or i don't believe in charity 
Yeah, yeah, we take your address. Yeah, I'll post it to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah there we go. Uh, if you have a question of social etiquette, then uh, we can solve it here in Problem Travel. What would do we call it? Problem Travel Tavern. Yes. Uh, at Quandary Corner. I think we'll probably do it like this again next week, Annabelle, is my okay. feeling. Um, okay. It's hello at adriftpodcast.com. And that was our podcast. Thank you very much for listening to it. I'm not going to do the full outro this week because I want to save my voice for the podication coming up in a few seconds. Uh, but I will finish by saying, oh, the poor kid inherited your scrotum. <laughs> Podication time. This comes from Tony Basra, who says, Hi, Jeff and Annabelle. Hi. Hi. Did you hear my voice go squeaky then? Yes. He says, I hope you're both very well. I find myself writing to you this week from a sunny hotel swimming pool in Bali on the first leg of our two-stop anniversary holiday next to Singapore. Mm. Very nice. Wow, lovely. Uh, as I listened to your soothing voices on episode 81 this morning, I thought it might be nice to ask for a podication, if at all possible, for my wife, Gerps. Rhymes with slurps. Serena loves mm. that. Uh, from myself and our daughter, Serena. Gerps made the no doubt never regretted decision to marry me 10 years ago, back on the 11th of April 2009. Back then, we were still young and fresh-faced 20-something party animals exploring the far east, Singapore and Malaysia, on our first foray out here, stumbling in and out of nightclubs in the early hours of the morning and loving every moment of it. In the intervening years, we've shared a lot of great times, including the birth of our lovely daughter Serena just over five years ago and moving into our first home. I'm not known for spending lavishly on holidays, or anything else for that matter, if you were to ask Gerps, <laughs> who sometimes jokes that my initials TB don't just stand for Tony Basra, but tight Baz. Um, however, we had promised ourselves we'd return here for our 10-year anniversary, even if it wasn't practical to get out here earlier... Um, which is what we have now done. My wife loves going on holiday, doesn't get to go on as many holidays as she'd like, partly because I'm more of a homebody and partly because of my avidly practised hobby of frugality. However, she's a great wife and a truly devoted mum and she really deserves this break. Serena also is enjoying the break. If she's bearing any guilt from her constant questioning of are we there yet, which started whilst the emergency procedure is being explained at Heathrow in advance of the 13-hour flight. She's keeping it very well hidden. She's really loving the numerous swimming pools, vanilla milkshakes, and even the fancy Japanese-style toilet, which opens automatically when she utters the words, Open Sesame! That's great. Uh, keep up the podcast, so says Tony. Oh, and this comes from Mark Humphreys, who says, Hi, Jeff and Annabelle. Um, hi. Hi. I have a podication for as close as possible as the 13th of April. It's for Amy, my amazing girlfriend, who may well be your biggest fan. I like the sound of Amy. Mm, me too. Uh, we first met nearly two years ago and the old radio show was one of the many things we discussed on those early dates. Since then, there were more dates, meeting of families, moving in together, laughter, tears, arguments, making ups and everything in between. However, 
Honestly, I can say that I'm the happiest I've ever been and I have her to thank. Like you, Jeff, she struggled with anxiety. As someone who thankfully has never had problems with this, I've tried my hardest to be a hand to hold, shoulder to cry on, but I'm sure I've made missteps along the way. But you're trying your best. I mean, I just think it's not the easiest thing to deal with if you're the person dealing with it, and it's tricky if you're the partner of that person as well. We're all just making it up as we go along, aren't we, Annabelle? Aren't we just making it up as we go along? We all are. We are. Uh, regardless, thank you, Amy. You're the love of my life and my best friend. Thank you for making the last couple of years the best I've ever had. And here's to many more. Thanks, Mark. Lovely. That's two really nice ones this week. Yeah, so, so, um, nice. so, so there's the anniversary holiday for GURPS from Tony and uh, and Serena. And then there's this one from Mark Humphreys, which might be a birthday, it might be an anniversary. It's difficult to, to tell. Or it, maybe yeah, it's just they, a podication. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah, no maybe. reason whatsoever at all, which is as good a reason as any. So there you yeah. go. Um, if you'd like a publication, email us hello at adriftpodcast.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Hold up. 